0: Hello, my fellow healers. Welcome to the Compassion Heals podcast. I'm your host, Patient Lee Tomlinson, and I'm delighted to have you here. I'm the founder of the Compassion Heals movement, whose purpose is to reverse the rapid disappearance of the scientifically proven immense healing power of kindness and compassion to improve the lives and health of you, me, and the world at a time when we've never needed it more. Compassion is defined as a willingness to feel someone else's pain and be moved to do something to relieve that pain, something we are all genetically designed to do in our DNA. Sadly, this immensely powerful tool we're born with is rapidly disappearing in healthcare and the world. Nearly 50% of patients today say they receive zero compassion while being treated in a medical setting. And nearly 35% of people say that compassion is not one of their core values. And those scary numbers have been rapidly declining for the past quarter century. We have to change that to survive. As an amazing philosopher once said, if you want to make somebody happy, be kind. If you want to be happy, be kind. It's that simple, just not always easy. So let's get to it. I've got an extraordinary guest today, a great pal, a great doctor, Dr. Fred Dennis. Dr. Dennis trained as an emergency physician at McGill University in Montreal. After a particularly bitter winter, he moved to Los Angeles with his wife in the early 80s, which frankly, Fred, is pretty much how all of us got there and pretty much for the same reason. He worked at multiple emergency departments in LA, including 10 years at Cedars-Sinai. During that time, he got his healthcare MBA in addition to being a doctor at UC Irvine, and then oversaw a major transformation of the Kaiser Sunset Emergency Department, and with a friend, started a medical consulting company to improve patient satisfaction in the ER, as well as improving the work life of physicians. Since then, he has had a variety of roles, including both overseeing physician groups, as well as health plans, and billing companies, but it was his response to personal burnout that re-energized his career and his dedication to helping heal patients. Fred, good afternoon. How are you doing, bud? I'm
1: doing great. Thanks, Lee. Thanks for inviting me.
0: That's good to have you here. So, Fred, help me understand. I mean, I, I have to admit, I wanted to be a doctor. Um, but I couldn't stand all the blood and guts and I wasn't nearly smart enough either. So when I think about being a doctor or a nurse or anything in healthcare, but the last thing I would want to be is in the ER. I mean, it's chaos. I've been in it dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Out of all of the different opportunities in healthcare, uh, being a doctor, why in the world did you choose the ER? Well, partly because Lee...
1: I enjoyed working there. I didn't see the chaos. Um, if you talk to emergency docs, wow. they'll tell you it's like a finely choreographed ballet, and you just have to know what everybody's role is. You also have to have the ability to to multitask, which uh, was I heard defined as the ability to walk into a, a audio visual store and there's ten TVs playing. And you can sort them out so you're listening to only one of them, so that you can shift your focus from patient to patient, because you're caring for many people at the same time. It's a true adrenaline junkie's uh, dream. Um, And you have the added benefit of that when your replacement arrives, you go home. You you know, you... Most physicians are working in practices where they bring their work home with them. You can't do that in emergency. You've got to tidy everything up. So it's like chapters in a book, you finish each chapter and then the next shift you work, you come into a different one. So it, it requires a different sort of mindset, but for those of us that have that mindset, it's a gas because you never, ever, ever go home and say, I didn't help somebody today. Every single day, you knew you made a difference in people's lives. No matter how miserable you know, the, the general experience was, you knew you were helping people.
0: Wow. That is, uh, that is astonishing to me. Uh, number one, how hard it is. And to keep having that turnover, it, 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 again, like you say, when you're as good at managing chaos as you and your colleagues are, I guess it can obviously really work because you've been doing it a very long time. Um, So let me ask you a question. You don't have a lot of long-term contact with your patients or their families. How do you create, how do you use compassion? How do you, how do you deliver compassion when you have moments and not days, weeks or months?
1: Well, so, one of the realizations I had I, when I was facing burnout uh, was that um, I was distant from the patients. I, I realized that um, over the years, what had happened was I was insulating myself progressively from patients. The, the empathy part was getting to me. I was feeling their pain with encounters. And... So I gradually built up a barrier against those uh, pain moments. So I thought I was being a very efficient physician, and I was, you know, I was doing all the right things according to the textbook, but I was missing a key element. The question we always ask in the emergency is why are you there? And I was focusing in on the sign or symptom, you know, the pain, uh, the trouble breathing, What I was missing was the fact that everyone has a hidden agenda when they come in, sometimes hidden to them. They don't know why they're there, but they're worried about something. So I learned to run kind of two scripts simultaneously. One was, what's wrong with you that could kill you or injure you or maim you, the medical part. And then the second part was, why are you there? What is it that's going on that's bothering you? Do you think you're having a heart attack? Do you think you've got cancer? Uh, that once, I, once I learned that that, was, that needed to be addressed in the encounter, then all of a sudden, I found that the patients really opened up to me and they became very appreciative because to do that, I had to become empathetic again. I had to lower the barrier. And I had to listen to them, and I had to try to use my best uh, skills skill set in terms of you know ep- empathy is is a skill, it, it can be developed, um, but you have to lower your barriers, and I did. And then all of a sudden, a miracle happened, so to speak, in that patients would not only give me the what traditionally in emergency medicine is the biggest compliment. Do you have a private practice? You know, they five minutes with them and they're saying, I like you way better than the doctor that I've had for however long time. But what I started to hear, not often, but boy, when it happened, was it ever a, an immense satisfaction? They would say, thank you for being here today. I'm so happy I came to the emergency. And you just finished saying that, Right. You've been in the emergency. How many times have you ever gone there and thought, boy, this is the high point of my day. I want to be in that emergency. You know, there's lots of other things I could do. It's a beautiful day outside. I think I'll go to the emergency. So, but people would say to no. me, you know, no. I, I'm glad I came to the emergency today. And and that made my day because what was happening is we were connecting. They knew that I was trying my best to figure out what was wrong with them and to address their concerns. And they had a weight lifted off their chest. They would walk out taller, braver, stronger, and face the world.
0: All because they had interacted with you and they knew that you felt their pain and were there with one single purpose when you connect like that by being kind and caring It literally gets them to listen more closely to you, to follow up on what your treatment suggestions are. And despite their pain, their physical pain, mentally and emotionally, their pain begins to dissipate and their physical pain begins to lessen simply because you expressed your kindness and caring in addition to your medical skills. Bravo, where in the world did you learn all of that stuff about compassion? I mean, is that, what, is that what got you into healthcare was, is that you couldn't stand the thought of, you know, letting people suffer pain without doing something to help them? What got you into it? I mean, who, who taught you that stuff? Well,
1: I, I was lucky. Um, my dad was a doctor. He was a self made man. He was the first person in his family to ever go to college. And he worked his way through medical school by doing various, you know, uh, sports uh, background type, you know, clean, sort of cleaning the stables, so to speak. And, um, and he, 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 one of his prime lessons he taught me was it's not what you have it's who you are that counts because that's the way he'd always looked at life is it's, you know, some people were born into wealth and they do nothing with it. And there are other people who achieve greatness out of just sheer grit opportunity and also asking people questions and being nice to them. So that, and he had an immense sense of satisfaction at his job. He He would work. He was an anesthesiologist. He would go in at night to round on his patients before the pre-op next day. And then um, he would come get up really early in the morning, like 5 o'clock, 4.30, so that he could get there in time and set up the OR before the first cases arrived. So I didn't see an awful lot of him. But when I saw him during the weekday, he was very happy he liked what he was doing. And when I talked to friends of mine, none of them said that their fathers liked the work that they were doing. So that planted the seed in my mind that maybe medicine was a good gig. And that the other thing that happened was I was a child of the 60s, right? And in the 60s, you know, we wanted to know what was going on in the universe, so to speak. And I thought, well, medicine is going to teach me how my body works. If nothing else, if I never practice another day, I will know how my body works. And then I can go off and do other stuff if I want, if I don't find it entertaining. But of course, what I found was that the, the, the gift of being able to help people when they're in pain, like you say, psychic pain, as well as physical pain, uh, is is a privilege that very few people have and uh, and it and i realized that this was a gift that i was being given to to help people and so that inspired me uh, to to not only get into medicine but to stay into medicine too
0: and you suffered burnout tell me tell me how burnout what did that sort of feel like what did it how did it manifest itself mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually? How did that grab you? Um, And from what you've said, how did it destroy your ability to connect with people when you began to close in? Well, well,
1: I think what happens is, you you know, burnout is kind of of a type of self-preservation It's the organism shutting down. It's like, I don't want anything external anymore. It's, the world is too, becoming too difficult to live in. And so you start going through just the rote stuff. You know, you're doing things on automatic. The person comes in with chest pain. You pull out your chest pain algorithm and you go through step A, B, C, D, E, and then you write your discharge instructions and it's next. And it's, I wonder how much more time I have until my shift's over kind of idea, right? And and after a while, even if the money's good, it doesn't satisfy you. We know that you have to be intrinsically motivated to, to enjoy what you're doing, meaning it has to match with your personal values. Extrinsic motivators like money and time off or, you know, vacations and the rest of it they only take you so far. But if you're not intrinsically motivated, if you're not resonating with finding meaning in what you're doing, then all you start to burn out. And, uh, and it's exhibited by becoming less and less concerned with people as people and just seeing them as that headache in bed three, that bellyache in bed four, um, you know that, that drunk in bed six the cynicism starts to come up.
0: You know, it's interesting. I remember when I was hospitalized uh, at the end of uh, uh, three months of chemo and 36 straight days of radiation to the base of my tongue to treat my throat cancer, there was a doctor uh, rounding with a bunch of uh, interns, and I heard him outside going, okay, in twenty-two twelve, we have an aging white male. <laughs> with uh, stage three, stage four, throat cancer, you know, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no, no. I'm Lee Tomlinson, uh, award-winning producer, studio executive, family man, great husband. I am not just the aging white. And he came in and literally treated me like I was this blob. And it was that kind of lack of compassion and I could give you a dozen more examples in that hospital. That got me to the point of wanting to commit suicide. I was hanging on by a thread at the end of my treatment. It was so brutal. As tough as I thought I was, which apparently I wasn't. And I needed every bit of help in the world. I would have given a hundred thousand dollars to have somebody who cares like you do come in and do whatever they were gonna do to me, but care about me as a person, not just the aging white male in 2212. So your point is well taken. And the thing that's so cool about compassion is all of the medical benefits, the emotional, physical, spiritual, not only occur for the patient, but for you as well. So as you're healing your patients, the more compassion you give, the more it helps reverse your burnout. So, last question. What is the most compassionate act you've ever seen or heard of in your lifetime?
1: Well, that's, it. you know, uh, I, by rough calculations, figure that I've seen over 120,000 patients. And so it's kind of hard to to pull out one on of the patients. But in terms of compassion, I I want to just tell you briefly about a, a person that I met. His name is Dr. Leyland Shapiro and or Dr. Cows as he's called. And he's a he was a a, a teacher at college, a local college, and he ran a pre-vet program. So he prepared kids to go to vet school. And this was his life's work. He was brilliant. He was empathetic. He was a stern taskmaster. Um, He devoted his entire life to putting kids into vet school, which, as you can appreciate, is more difficult than medical school. The standing joke among veterinarians is, well, uh, if I can't get into vet school, I'll become a doctor. Pediatricians usually, right? So, uh, so, so doc, so Dr. Cows spent two and a half years with my daughter, who had grave doubts about her ability to do calculus and biochemistry and all of those science programs to get into vet school, and he basically toughened her up and gave her the self confidence. To apply to vet school, and she's now a successful veterinarian, who uh, professor at at uh, LSU University, and he did that for over 250 kids, and and in doing so, he lived a very modest lifestyle because he was at a community college. Um, he spent a lot of his own money in in helping them, so he was he never got uh, any any financial rewards from it. But he was very compassionate because he worked with each one of those kids individually to to help them to build up their confidence, to their courage, fill in the gaps. And he said, look, this is going to be so rigorous. When you go to vet school, it's not going to be any harder. I can guarantee you that. And, And I thought, now, that is compassion because he devoted his life to to basically making these kids into veterinarians that he was proud of.
0: Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. I got to tell you, that's a gift. I mean, when you look at how many lives he improved by helping them get into that career path and then all the lives that were improved by the treatment of those vets, of the owners of the pets. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people and animals, and it doesn't get any better than that. Dr. Dennis, it is a pleasure to have had you on the show. You are a remarkable man. You are kind. You are caring. You are hugely competent uh, at what you do, and I am honored to know you and uh I just hope I never need your medical skills in the ER. So thank you for being here today. Um, We'll do another one one day soon, but thank you. This is patient, Lee. No, I was going to say, and thank
1: you, Lee, for spreading the message. It's too bad we can't clone you and put you all over the place because your message is absolutely worth hearing.
0: Well, there's a lot of people who would say that cloning me would probably be the biggest mistake in the history of the world. However, thank you for that compliment. I am deeply honored, my friend, and uh, to be continued. Everybody, thanks for tuning in patiently. Compassion Heals Movement, to be continued. See you soon. Bye.